Tim, thank you, praise team. Let me invite you, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. And uh, as you find that in your Bible, and we are back into uh, our study through 2 Corinthians, really talking about God's power in the midst of our weakness. And we have seen that even when we came back into it last week and talking about the heavenly hope that we have in Christ and what a joy it is to uh, continue on as you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. And really, as we come into this text here today, what we are thinking about is living courageously uh, for Christ, because the fact of the matter is, our lives require courage, and courage in the moment, courage to take hold of the opportunities that are laid out in front of us. But when we talk about living courageously, there may be various sort of pictures that come to mind as we think about that. And so we really need the biblical text here to help us narrow the scope as to what that is supposed to look like. What does it look like to live courageously in the midst of the life in which you are walking right now? What does it look like to aim well, and where is that courage trending toward and pointing others to as we think about living courageously for Christ? So let me invite you to grab your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 6 through 10, and then work our way through it together. So read with me, if you will, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 6, and this is what We read together here today. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we thank you for the clarity of it. And Father, you know our circumstances better than we do. So Father, we ask that by your Spirit, for the glory of your Son in our midst, Father, may we understand what it means to live courageously for Christ. And Lord, may it not simply be understanding, but may the understanding of your word lead us to live for your glory. Lord, we ask for you to do what you alone can in our midst, and we look forward with great expectation of the fruit you will bear, all to the glory of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen. So as we re-enter 2 Corinthians, you think of all of the wonderful declarations of who God is as the God of all comfort and the God who raises the dead and the God who leads us in triumphant uh, procession. You think of all the ways in which we we have been called and our lives are shaped to the uh, ever-increasing glory of Christ, to look more Christ-like so we do not lose heart. And so as we fix our eyes on Jesus and even recognize the difficulty of our own circumstances but acknowledge the resurrection hope, acknowledge God's providence in the midst of all of what He is doing so that there's never a wasted moment. There's never a wasted opportunity. God is at work even though we hurt sometimes. We even, as we talked about last week and talking about the groanings of the body, what we have seen and what we are walking into as we enter this passage of Scripture is that reminder that heavenly hope fosters courageous living now. 
that the Holy Spirit in our lives that we have been given for everyone who knows Christ as Savior and Lord, He has been given to us as a guarantee of our inheritance. It stirs us to courageous living now. So we would say here in verse 6, in application of the heavenly hope, in application of the fact that the Spirit is with us, we are always of good courage. That's present tense. We are now always of good courage courage, of good cheer, of confidence is another way that it's often translated. The whole idea of facing the situation. So we look and we look forward to the heavenly hope, but in understanding the heavenly hope we have, in understanding the spirit at work within us, we square our shoulders in the face of life itself, living courageously by walking by faith in Christ. Because we can talk and we ought to talk often of heaven and the joys of heaven. But then as our eyes look down, we see all the difficulty and the trial and the trouble. And yet there's hope of life. We must remember the provision that God has given. But see, this is not just a matter of doing huge things for God as we talk about being of good courage. Because a lot of times when we associate being of good courage, we think, of, well, what's the next big moment? What's the next big thing that I'm going to walk into and that it will require courage? No, this is courage to, as Elizabeth Elliot liked to say, this is courage to do the next right thing. It may be big and it may be small, it's just the next right thing. The courage to do small things for Him and for His glory, knowing good and well nobody's paying attention to you except for Him. To be courageous with the gospel, to be courageous, to be faithful over the long haul in all of the small little things that are in our lives. Courage to continue on, to press forward, to not give up on reaching out to our community and not give up on reaching out to our families as well. We are always of good courage. And again, he, he ties us right back into what we know. It's the exact same thing we saw in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And we are at home in the body. And he's not bemoaning physical things. We have a physical existence. And we ought to enjoy it and use it for the glory of God. And so we enjoy food. We enjoy friendship, and we enjoy fellowship, and we enjoy life. But while we are at home, here in the body, we are meant and we are placed here for His use. Even while we have to look around us and say, we know that this is not all there is. So we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And not away in the sense that we are away from, we're not avoiding his omnipresence. You can go read Psalm 139. Where can I go from your presence? And the answer to that is, well, nowhere. He is everywhere. But we are talking about being away in the sense we are not at home with him now in heaven. And that for the believer, we know we have laid up in front of us an eternal dwelling in the heavens with him. Kept in heaven for us by Christ and the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that our citizenship is in heaven. We are pilgrims and exiles in this life and so we're passing through to the promised land, you might say. 
But while we're passing through, we are not meant to be idle about it. That our passing through, even our time of exile, ought to bear some benefit to those who are around us. It's interesting we see the consistent pattern of God across the whole span of Scripture. I mean, you could go back and you could read Jeremiah chapter 29 and everybody's thinking, okay, well, God's going to send us off into exile. What are we supposed to do while we're off in exile? What's that supposed to look like? What does he tell them? Build houses and live in them. Have families. Go get married. Have children. Seek the welfare of your city. Seek to do good. Why? To the glory of the God who is leading you and guiding you in every nuanced detail of your own lives. What was true then is true now. And so we are meant and designed that even while we acknowledge, even while we groan in acknowledgement of the fact that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, we live as beacons of heavenly hope so that we can be courageous right where we are. We're not looking for a new place of courage. We're just saying, Lord, stir me to live and to walk by faith right where I am. So that we're not stuck in life just sitting around pondering about the next big thing. Getting stuck in the sort of vacation daydream that we can often get into in work and you just find yourself sort of sitting there thinking, well, I'd rather be at the beach. But while you're thinking about being rather, you would rather be at the beach, you're not really doing anything of any benefit for those who are immediately around us. We are to look forward with hope and yet walk in faithful pursuit of the glory of Christ right where we are. So we should ask the question, what does living courageously for Christ look like now? And we're told very clearly in verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk. Walking is an interesting picture, isn't it? Walking takes time. And every once in a while, just to mess with the kids, right? When you look up the GPS directions, and I'll pick up the walking directions. And be like, see, it's going to take us 14 hours to get there. <laughs> takes a long time to walk anywhere, doesn't it? It's just step by step. That's how life is lived, isn't it? Just a moment at a time. So many moments that seem so insignificant at the time. Yet God is in the midst of all of them, working, calling us to trust him when it's big and calling us to trust him when it doesn't seem like anything at all. Life lived one step at a time. Most of our lives are not lived in all of the massive moments, just steps. And one step alone just seems almost trivial. But it's like going for a walk in the mountains. Park yourself in the little parking lot next to the Appalachian Trail and you start walking. You take a few steps and you're like, this is nice. Not really paying attention, you're just spending time with other people and you're talking about it. Next thing you know, you look behind you and you're standing on top of a mountain. You think, how did we get here? Well, one step at a time. That's life, isn't it? All these little steps along the way of faith. It starts off with repenting and believing in Christ. 
then you get baptized. And then you, you're, you're walking with him as a disciple and you're, you're learning his word and you're praying and you're walking with your family and you're seeking to see the, the truth of Christ applied in your life in every aspect. And so everything about your life becomes this exercise of worship. So whether in word or deed and all things, you're doing all things to the glory of God. It's all worship and this walk, this metaphor for a way of life, thoughtful, steady, consistent, we walk, we live by faith. Which to use this, this picture here is so helpful because on the, it protects us from two very different dangers. Because in talking about walking by faith, that means we are neither in a rush nor are we idle. Because when we get in a rush... We tend to leave things out. We tend to overlook things. Everything just gets scattered out. It's like we just got to get. We got to go. And you overlook so much of what is around you. But at the same time, a walk is movement. Because there's also the danger of idleness. Of doing nothing. And of being discouraged in the fact that it feels like you're doing nothing because you're doing nothing. But what characterizes your walk because we can pick up all the details of you know the ways in which people walk physically don't we you know we'll say that dude's got some pep in his step right maybe you bounce a little when you walk remember people used to point out to me all the time did you know you're pigeon toed it's like did you think I knew I was pigeon toed (laughs) of course I knew that right we notice that, don't we? What's characterizing your walk now? Is it faith? Walking step by step in faith? Trusting in Christ? Trusting that Jesus Christ lived in perfect righteousness, died on the cross for your sin, rose from the dead, and there's forgiveness and everlasting life in His name? Is He worth the next step? Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. Recognizing that even though we fail often, and we, we recognize there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That where our sins are many, His mercy is more. Trusting that the good shepherd is with us. Trusting that he's leading us and guiding us and feeding us and caring us. And that our, our Lord is with us and that he corrects us and calls us. And our king, our refuge, our strength. The one who says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest for your souls. Are we trusting in him, in his word? Walking by faith in his design. His design for life his design for marriage, his design for family, his design for relationships, his design for sex, his design for gender, his design for the content of the conversations that we have with those who are around us. Are we walking by faith? Doesn't mean it's all going to happen in one big jump, but it does mean we're walking, we're moving, and we're with him. He's with us even Walking with Jesus in this world, we are walking by faith, courageously walking by faith in Christ, not by sight. Trusting Christ more than we trust our own senses. Not looking at our own lives and being like, I'll figure it out myself. 
Because you've been in the car before where you get in there and somebody says, I know where I'm going. And you know good and well they have no idea. And you just find yourself driving in circles over and over and over again. And you're like, we've seen that four times. You're like, no, I know exactly where I'm going. That's how so many people live their lives, isn't it? Trusting themselves, trusting their own senses instead of trusting the God who created you. Who is guiding you to himself. Walk by faith, not by sight. Because for as much as we see, even still our sight is very limited. You can think of all of the snapshots that we see on a regular basis, whether it's some social media photo or you can think even of Christmas pictures, right? Maybe you get those cards in the mail and you look at them and you know everybody's dressed very nicely and all put together and they all have a smile on their face. You're like, this is a beautiful picture. And you have no idea the kind of carnage it took to get to that picture. All the sit still, will you? This shouldn't take forever. Why did you eat that for breakfast? Because now you're running off the rails. Like we got all the rushing around and everything else, and then you stand up real fast. You know, get your smile down. And it's like, it's a great picture. In our little sight there, so oftentimes we miss the bigger picture. That's how life is, isn't it? We think we get a little snapshot of a picture of something and we understand everything, but we don't. We must trust that God knows better than we do, better than our own senses. We are walking courageously by faith, not by sight. Which means we trust God about the dangers that he has told us are around us, and we trust God that there is great reason to delight in him always. Things are not always what they appear to be. And that's not just when we look in the side view mirror. Because so oftentimes there are so many faux smiles around us that are hiding the darkness of depression and loneliness and sorrows and hopelessness. You can look all put together on the outside and be a cataclysmic mess on the inside. This is not about appearing to be all right. This is about walking by faith in the God who saves us, sustains us, leads us, guides us, and grows us for his great glory. The God who, as we would recognize in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So that every step of faith, that it's worth it to pray with your children. Every step of faith, that it's worth it to send that card to your grandkids. Every step of faith, it's worth it to have that conversation with your neighbor. Every step of faith, it's worth it to trust him even when it doesn't make sense. Every step of faith, walking by faith, not by sight. Because the more we walk with him, the more we know him, and the more we find ourselves with great reason to trust him all the more. 
So through grief and hardship, through joys and victories in all things and in every way, live courageously walking by faith in Christ. So that's what it looks like. What is the aim here? Where is this leading us? Where does this point us? Well, we have this repetition here in verse 8. It says, yes, we are of good courage. Remember, as we set our gaze on Christ, the heavenly hope, the hope of the Holy Spirit, we have that. Realizing that in the face of it all, our preferences are not the basis for our own lives. Our own likes are not necessarily the ways in which we make all of our decisions. We're not just living our lives clicking away on the thumbs up of life. We're not called to, nor are we accountable for how well we maintained our own preferences. He says, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Here's what we would rather have for our groaning to be swallowed up with life. This is not the only place where Paul brings this up. He actually says it specifically in another way. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, he says, I am hard-pressed between the two. Talking about death and life. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He says, we'd rather be at home with the Lord. And at some point in all of our if you have not said that yet, you will. With tears in your eyes. Some circumstance of brokenness that maybe you're walking through. Some display of the ways in which the sinful tendencies of humanity have been inflicted upon somebody. And all you can get out is, come Lord Jesus. We'd rather be away from the body. And at home with the Lord as the pain lingers and there's weaknesses in every turn and all the diagnoses. And it's sometimes like the sorrows just multiply. Longing to be restored in His gracious hands. And so we look forward Acknowledging there's no place like home. I mean, we love our homes now. We love the, you know, even the, the whether it's the recliners or the, you know, the smells that are in there or the things that you're comfortable with and you know where everything is and maybe it's all your little knickknacks you got tucked over in a corner somewhere, all the broken in wonkiness even sometimes of your own house, your own home. And for every believer... Everyone who knows Christ, we will readily admit. I'd rather be at home with him. And the more you love him, the more you want to see him. But our preferences are not our devotion. We're here for a reason. We have a point and a purpose that he has laid out in front of us. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has laid out beforehand that we should walk in after we are saved by grace through faith. Mm -hmm. And so we can walk our lives living with 
Come, Lord Jesus, on our lips while we seek to show courage with the gospel conviction to those who are around us so that until we are called home, we recognize we are deployed here. But if we're not going to be courageous with our preferences, what are we going to be courageous with? He says, so whether at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That's what we're aiming for. We want to please Jesus. Because we know in heaven, what's it going to be like? We're going to be singing to his everlasting glory. We're going to be rejoicing every time we look around and acknowledging the great glory of his salvation. Look at how he has saved. Look at the lives he's transformed. Look at what he's done. Look at how he's taken a broken life, restored it, and So many have come to know Christ and there's so much life and so many reasons to rejoice. So whether at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Our ambition, our motivating factor. Because ambitions reveal what we most value. So as you... You know, I, I, you, think, you think about it as a college student, even as a, you know, walking through life and your career and the ways in which you set goals or the ways in which you're moving through, the ways, what you're ambitious about reveals what you see as most valuable. And so many people are so distorted in this. We make it our aim to please Christ so that we can just, as a blanket statement over our entire lives, start from the framework of just asking the question before you walk into something, does this please Christ? Will this please Him? Asking yourself that as a husband or as a wife. Asking yourself that as a parent. Asking yourself that as a child. Asking yourself that as a neighbor or as a friend. Steadfast devotion to Him. My ambition is to please Christ. It changes everything, doesn't it? Because if my ambition is to please Christ, and I know that marriage is the picture of Christ in the church, and that I am to love my wife as Christ loves the church, then my ambition is to please Him. That's going to change the way I treat Meredith, isn't it? That's how it should be with everything, isn't it? Yes, sir. Our whole lives lived courageously pleasing to him, knowing that this is the grand aim anyway. And so much of our ambitions we wear on our sleeves, the things that we are so passionate about. What about pleasing Christ? And in the end, we all have to admit, everybody's aiming to please somebody. Even if you're not a people pleaser. If you run around telling everybody, I'm not a people pleaser, that probably means you're just pleasing yourself. But the aim is not necessarily just to please somebody else or to please your, you know, your spouse or to please your friend or to please your child or to please your boss. It's not simply, you know, going to the fast food restaurant across the street and listening to them say, you know, can I have a straw? And they'll say, my pleasure. And you're like, what? It's pleasing Christ. So as we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we are praying that on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying, be pleased in this, O Lord. 
glorifying him and the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord, even if we have to lose all things, counting the cost and seeing him as worth it, magnifying him by making Jesus Christ known, prioritizing him in your life, that we should ask ourselves as we read this, is this our life? Does this describe your life? Is your life pleasing to Jesus now? Because the aim is not merely just doing things for Jesus. The aim is not events. The aim is not filling pews. It's pleasing Christ. It's aiming to hear that whenever you're called home from deployment and you go stand before Christ, you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So you glorify him and adore him and praise him and trust him. And you're clear with the truth with those who are around you. And you want to be full of grace and truth so that you're not weaponizing anything, but you're seeing God, to, you're, you're watching God do what you cannot do yourself. He has not left us in the dark as to what pleases him. He's pleased with the fact that we don't run around with our own pride, but that we cry out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. We come to him with every anxiety and burden and every admission of weakness. It pleases him to hear his children cry out and say, I need you. Just like it pleases a father to hear their children say, Daddy, help. He's glad to do so, isn't he? How much more so our heavenly father. What a picture we have here. So courageously live pleasing to Christ. Courageously do the next right thing for your marriage. Courageously do the next right thing in discipling your children for Christ. Courageously do the next right thing as you pray as you forgive one another, as you love your enemies and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who mistreat you. Courageously, Christ-like and being humble and serving and being faithful. And know that in every step, in every thought, in every action, in every intention, he already sees. We make it our aim to please Him, knowing good and well that one day an accounting is due. Because in verse 10, we're told very clearly here, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is a bigger deal than a jury summons. There's no excuse to get out of this one that you can give. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Who's he talking about? We all. Every single one of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We can talk about Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed a man wants to die and then comes judgment. 
We can talk about how judgment is in the hand of God according to Romans chapter 14 and also acknowledging the fact that the Son, God the Son, has all authority as judge in John chapter 5 verse 27. But we also have to acknowledge there are distinctions in judgment seats. Because biblically, you can, you can look in various places, you can find the great white throne of judgment, which ultimately is the distinction between believer and unbeliever, between heaven and hell. For those who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, who know him as Savior and Lord, who are justified by his grace as a gift, you will go to heaven. For those who do not have Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, who are trusting in your own works or will or wits or whatever else to save you, if you have not come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, you are not justified. You are not reconciled to him. And at the great white throne of judgment, you will then go to hell. Having refused grace, having thought that you could provide better for yourself, having cast him aside for the pleasures of this world. But yet we also have to acknowledge there's another judgment seat. And in particular, this other judgment seat is what he's referring to here. Even though in the background, every time you talk about judgment, there is the distinction between believer and unbeliever, but the judgment that he's talking about here is judgment for the believer. It's the bema seat, as you might refer to it. It's actually the word that's used in the Greek text. And so we face and we stand under the scrutiny of what God has called us to while acknowledging the fact that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the Bema seat was often used as the place where victorious athletes would go to get their crowns. It's rewards judgment. You might be thinking, rewards judgment? Yes. For believers, yes. We're not saved by our works, but we have been called to good works and we've been called to store up treasure in heaven. That's what he's referring to here. That's what he's referring to in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when he says, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. In other words, how you live right now matters for eternity. He says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So as you devote your life in walking in his word and in living it out in your lives and you're growing in holiness and praying, loving one another, and none of that is a wasted moment. As you lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily entangles you so that you can run the race with endurance that's laid out in front of you. See, we're not just riding the bench waiting for Jesus to show up. We're not waiting at the bus stop to heaven and sitting on the bench and doing nothing. No, he's called us. Live. Live to please Christ now. Make it your home, whether, make, make it your aim, whether at home or away, to please him as much as you can before you go before him.
Because we all know accountability and rewards motivates. That's why when you know that you're going to have to take that little insulin meter to the doctor and you're going to have to give a report about all your blood sugar readings and everything else, you don't want it to be all bad news, do you? You don't want to hear that. That's why when you give these reports at work, you recognize the fact you're thankful in the fact that there's accountability in that. That's why grades in school are a good thing. They're motivating. And, to, and honestly here, in, in our accountability and thinking this through, oftentimes the way of walking by faith and the way of aiming to please Christ is not going to be the easiest of all options. Often it will be the hardest. If you're walking down the road of relationships, it will be harder for you to not cohabitate first, but to walk in faithfulness and say, we're going to get married and do this for the glory of Christ, to display the greater picture of Christ and His glory. It will be a harder thing for you to say, I'm not going to be dishonest in this business transaction, and it might cost you in the moment. But there are rewards in heaven for walking in faithfulness in Christ and standing for the truth and aiming for gospel clarity. There are rewards. Not differing heavens, but there are differing rewards. The best description I've ever read about this came from Jonathan Edwards, and he said this, It will be no damp to the happiness of those who have lower degrees of happiness and glory that there are others advanced in glory above them. For all shall be perfectly happy. Everyone shall be perfectly satisfied. Every vessel that is cast into this ocean of happiness is full though there are some vessels far larger than others. What a picture that is, isn't it? What a reason for us to aim to please the Lord in all things. As we think of long-term investing, as we think of saving up over the course of time, it usually doesn't happen big chunks at a time. It's little by little along the way. That's how our lives are lived, walking by faith, storing up treasure in heaven and all the little steps that we have laid out in front of us by our sovereign God. He will, we will receive what is due for what we have done in the body, whether good or evil, whether useful or worthless. As one famous pastor likes to say in terms of social media, that it will be used on the day of judgment to prove that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. But every time you take time to, wherever you may be, Lord, help them. As you're driving by that car accident, you don't even know anybody in there. Lord, help them. Help the first response. God hears all of that. Yes, we will be accountable for every idle word and every fleeting lust. We will be accountable for that. But there will be rewards for every encouragement, every comfort, every sowed seed, every moment of worship and adoration, every moment of fasting and praying, every moment of fellowshipping together. God rewards what a good God we have. And that when the closets of your life are opened, What do you want strewn out in front of our risen Christ? What does he see now? Live courageously, pleasing 
to him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Are you facing today courageously alive in Christ? Because it doesn't take long for life to be interrupted and we're suddenly reminded at how thin a razor's edge of eternity we're walking on here. We don't know what time we've got left. All we know is we have right now. Today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your hearts. You hear Christ calling you out of darkness, convicting you of your sin, calling you to repent of your sin and turn away from trusting in yourself and turn away from trying to save yourself and turn away from all of the brokenness and all the expressions of brokenness in your own life, turning away from your sin and turning to Christ and saying, Lord, I may not understand all the details, but I believe you love me. I believe you sent your son to live in perfect righteousness, to die on the cross for my sin, to rise from the dead, and that there is forgiveness and life in him. So, Father, I I believe. Take that first step of faith today. Trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and have life in him forever and then courageously live. Walk in by faith, aiming to please him, and watch and see as you take little steps along the way, trusting him. Watch and see, O believer, how you take little steps of faith along the way, trusting him. Watch and see that you will have more to look forward to in heaven as he rewards so faithfully and so much better than we could ever possibly imagine those who trust in him. Live courageously today through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that by your Spirit and for the glory of your Son, you would bring great conviction here today. That we would feel the light of your holiness exposing the thoughts and intentions of our own hearts. And God, we pray for the people who are here who have never trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And we pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Where they would turn from sin and trust in Jesus, crucified and risen for the forgiveness of their sins. God, save them today. And Father, for all of us here who are believers, Help us to live courageously walking by faith, ever aiming to please you. Lord, we ask that that would start right now. So that whatever is unpleasing to you would be removed. That we may respond in a way that brings you glory and honor. In all things and in every way. May Jesus be magnified in our midst as we respond to his word together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.